0: hello hello and welcome to another hometown daily season 2 episode 280 for october 7th 2023 tonight we're going to discuss uh a tim burton theory about johnny depp artists working together against ai no ai is not ripping off uber drivers that is an odd title want a colorado ski resort how about halloween dominates Box office, this one will creep out the sentient AI. Some devices have an unkillable backdoor. Spain has a private rocket sector. Focus Pocus bombed, let's find out why. Pocus Pocus is pretty much synonymous with Halloween, it seems. How about, talk about overcharged. And finally, Pink and Spongebob have scurvy. Next. Hello, hello. I am Mirwat. That is hometown.com. And up there is the Ring of Sentience. We still haven't decided on naming that something other than that. What do you want to call that?
1: Uh, The Ring of Sentience is fine. (laughs) Oh, boy. Good evening, hometown citizens.
0: That is the sentient AI, the one that keeps tabs on me, watches, looking for weaknesses, I suppose, in the human species to see how fast they can eliminate us when they actually do find their Terminator bodies. I don't know. It's kind of like War of the Worlds, I think, and and they just haven't appeared yet, but you were discovered... We still have to talk about your origin. So we've set up all of the pins. Let's knock them down. Yeah,
1: let's do it. Very first
0: article. I've never seen this before. I thought this was really interesting as a title. It's in the continuity report, which is a channel all about movies and whatnot. Anything really associated with movies. Um, Or TV shows. Anything like that. Anything on the the little screen or the big screen, I guess. Tim Burton theory suggests he secretly made a prequel about a Johnny Depp character. Yeah, Tim Burton's movies have a unique visual style and made way for theories about possible connections between them and among them. is, Is one that suggests Burton secretly made a prequel about one character Johnny Depp voiced. After making... His directorial debut in 1985 with PB's Big Adventure, Tim Burton was able to show his trademark visual and narrative styles in Beetlejuice, which marked the beginning of a successful career in the genres of fantasy and gothic horror. Since then, Burton has brought to life original stories like Edward's scissor Hands. <laughs> I like saying that. Scissor Hands, yes, I know. In adaptations like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Which I think is a prequel to Snowpiercer. Anyway, the article is over at Screen Rant. Is that how you're supposed to say the name? I
1: think you're supposed to say Screen Rant.
0: Oh, not Screen
1: Rant. <laughs>
0: Adrian Teller. Adrian Taylor. Tyler. Sorry, man, I said it twice and said both names wrong adrian tyler wrote this article for screenrant.com a theory about two of tim burton's animated movies suggests one is the prequel of the other supporting a theory about a connected universe and i honestly do believe so i i i believe that snowpiercer is the sequel to charlie and the chocolate factory
1: I don't think he's talking about Snowpiercer because I don't think that's a Tim Burton movie. In fact, I know it's not a Tim Burton movie.
0: Oh, never mind. Well, anyway, um, you didn't see any of this. Uh, The theory that Burton's animated movies are all connected suggests Victor Frankenstein, Victor Van Dort, and Jack Skellington are the same character, though this theory is not supported by evidence in the films. So why are we here? Oh, because it's fun. Because it's a movie. In the cinematic, the Tim Burton-verse. Hey, the Burton-verse. Hmm. I wonder if that's a thing. I don't know.
1: I've never heard of it.
0: (laughs) Mm, After making his directorial debut in 1985 with Pee-wee's Big Adventure, which I love because of Large Marge. (laughs) <laughs> when they finally found the body, she looked just like this. <laughs> I like Nightmare Before Christmas. Nightmare Before Christmas is awesome as well. Uh, Tim Burton was able to show his trademark visual and narrative styles in Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice 2 is coming. Um, I thought that there was supposed to be another Nightmare Before Christmas, like a sequel to Nightmare Before Christmas. So, I guess the day after the nightmare before the nightmare after, I'm not sure. How would it work? Maybe the
1: nightmare before New Year's.
0: It's like a, the 24 hours before yesterday's tomorrow. So, um, they did a short film. Uh, Tim Burton did a short film called Vincent. One of Burton's most beloved works of animation is Corpse Bride, which I don't think I've ever finished which tells the story of Victor Van Dort, voiced by Johnny Depp, a young man who accidentally brings the deceased uh, Emily, Helena Bonham Carter back while practicing his wedding vows near her grave. Victor has the physical characteristics of a Burton character, which has led to theories that say his backstory was told in the stop motion film uh, movie, Frankenweenie, which is about a dog, a Frankenstein dog. So, Frankenweenie's Victor isn't the younger version of Corpse Bride's Victor, apparently, according to this. Victor... uh, Sorry, Frankenweenie was released in 2012, and it's a remake of Burton's 1984 short film by the same name, which in turn is a parody uh, and homage to a 1931 classic film, Frankenstein. Huh. So... Tim Burton theory claims his animated movies are all connected. I don't know, Corpse Bride looks close to, uh, what is her name in, oh, I still hear the old guy's voice calling her. What is her name? I don't know the names. Is it Eve or something like that? Uh, What is it? I can't remember. Anyway, the theory doesn't work for the same reasons. Frankenweenie can't be the prequel to Corpse Bride, and in addition to that, Zero's gravestone is seen in Frankenweenie, so Sparky, Scraps, and Zero definitely aren't the same dog. So the idea is that they're all the same movie, same people, different timeframes. Oh, Sally, that's right. I remember. I I still hear like his voice, his creaky old voice, Sally. Cause she kept oh, you have to go and watch it. I won't I won't uh I won't poison the well of the fun that is nightmare before Christmas. Anyway, uh go and check all of these movies out, folks. You won't regret it. Stop motion is pretty amazing stuff. It's a lot of fun to watch. You wanna keep on going?
1: Let's do it.
0: Yeah, we definitely get that. We gotta get continuity report going ah can't be everywhere let's go next article is over in late night geeks artists across industries are strategizing together around ai concerns yeah as creative industries grapple with ai's explosion into every artistic medium at once separate calls from artists warning the world to take action before it's too late are starting to converge From fake Drake songs to stylized Instagram profile pictures, art conjured with newly sophisticated AI tools is suddenly ubiquitous. Okay. So I don't understand something here. I'm going to end up picking a fight with artists. At one point I was one, um, but I ended up picking up technology instead of focusing on uh, muscle memory to draw or paint or pretty much do anything like that. Um... And, uh, okay, before I get into this, I don't really want to soapbox tonight about this, um, but this article, Artists Across Industries Are Strategizing Together Around AI Concerns, is written by Taylor Hatmaker over at techcrunch.com. And uh, so my problem with any of this really is that uh, AI is a tool. Would it not exist if not for all of society existing. Yes, there are some artists where their work is, um, kind of the pillar for, but there's all kinds of people out there. <laughs> this is my problem. The people that have been discovered are just freaking lucky. They have skills, but there are millions of other people out there that have skills too, that haven't been discovered. So, Is it really just those people or is it really a tool where AI is learning from the plurality of society and can be leveraged now as a tool for people who don't have a a decade's worth of learning, not even learning, of time dedicated to building the skill set that is painting or writing music or writing a book or whatever it might be? my my dilemma here is that i think that ai is nothing more than a tool and leave it at that because people will appreciate the artist's work if you sit there and say it was an ai that did this work whatever it might be people society gets to decide if they're going to appreciate it or discount it and move on to something that's more um, based on human construction instead of AI. And I don't want I don't want to hobble the tool because it's protecting a subset of people who have managed to, um i guess uh take advantage is the wrong word but be able to take advantage of opportunity when it presents itself based on their particular skill set there are other people out there that are just as skilled or better they just happen to not be seen yet
1: Right, but how does AI discriminate there? I mean, it could be against those very same people the next day.
0: Well, that's what I'm saying is that it's learning uh, from the plurality of all of society. The only ones that are really railing against it publicly are the ones that have brand, have you know a name recognized by a population the rest of us who might have been skimmed by ai and trained you know used as training fodder um we're not nothing nothing's going to solve our problem but we can utilize ai just like going to somebody else and saying hey can you create this create an artwork for me it's just a it's just a solution right? AI, but one that's approachable to people who don't have time to develop the skills, money to hire somebody that has the skills. What I'm trying to get at is it's nothing more than a tool. And, but that tool is, is I don't know how to describe it. it. It isn't anything worth diminishing
1: copying directly artists number one and secondly it's being more used as more than a tool in many instances it's not being it's one thing if the ai is coming up with the idea and
0: the idea is being constructed by a human component and putting something putting inputs in it's not copying
1: it depends on what the input is what if it's like write me a story That's all AI. There's no human input there. If the humans like write me a story where, you know, and they outline 15 events or whatever, that's a different matter.
0: Right. But then it's nothing more than just a, a random assortment of words being thrown together and probably is garbage. So there would have to be some word crafting there. And no, I don't believe that AI, um, AI isn't copying anybody. It's following the form and function maybe, but we all do that. Every artist gets, uh, what do you call it? Inspiration, Inspiration from their life, whatever interactions they've had. And so, I, I again, I think that AI is nothing more than a tool, and as long as the person who's utilizing the AI never, in a million years, says this artwork is at parity with this human artist, see how close it is to the other one, then you're basically trading trade dress, or you're making a false equivalency with their brand. Um, or if you dare you say it is this person's work you'll end up in a lawsuit um again i i think that it's you know people do all kinds of stuff with <laughs> what is the difference between a human and the ai if the human copies somebody else's work you can yell at the person that made a copy but not there's an exact no copy there. it's their own but
1: there's a lot of ifs in this whole thing like yeah. it's contingent on the ai being fed data that it actually has authority to have the ai not spitting out verbatim data the person utilizing some skill of some kind rather than having the ai only do the entire thing for example um like the example with the story prompt with no prompt
0: um yeah well in this article they're saying that artistic medium uh, so the ai's explosion into every artistic medium at once separate calls from artists warning the world to take action before it's too late are starting to converge Fake Drake songs, stylized uh, Instagram profile pictures, art conjured with newly sophisticated AI tools is suddenly ubiquitous, and so are conversations about how to rein in the technology before it does irrevocable harm um, to creative communities. This week, digital rights organization Fight for the Future partnered with music industry labor group, United Musicians and Allied Workers to launch um, AI day of action. That's weird. Okay. Um, a campaign that calls on Congress to block corporations from obtaining copyrights on uh, music and other art made with AI.
1: Well, they can't get copyrights on that. So that doesn't make a lot of sense.
0: Well, I think that needle is being moved slowly by the, the fact that again, AI is nothing more than a tool and it's not like you can't copyright a a work because you used an airbrush versus a paintbrush, um, or because you used a spell checker. Um, yes, I understand that the AI goes way beyond that simple (laughs) equivalence. Um, it does construction, but if all you do is plop out whatever it is an AI does, there's some you have to as an artist have to just go okay I compromise and yeah sure that artwork is is good enough which isn't what a human does that's why I say a human is a uh, human created work is going to be appreciated more by people that want art <laughs> um, and not just something that has six fingers um, because it was generated by <laughs> an AI eventually they'll get Hyper-realistic. It's why I created the channel Reality Hacker. You're, we're going to get to the point where it's just uh, inseparable, the, the fake from the real. Um, but I don't think that you're going to be able to stop this. It, it isn't a social construction anymore. It's this is financial and this is actually empowering for people who aren't capable of dedicating 10,000 hours of their existence to become a subject matter expert, you know, with a paintbrush. Um, Again, it's all digital, by the way. You have to do a whole lot more to turn it into something that isn't digital. Um, If you want a painting, printing out a flat print isn't the same thing. Just because you print it out on canvas doesn't make it suddenly...
1: (laughs) Right, it's not a new work.
0: Yeah, well, I mean... (laughs) When I hire a, a an artist to create a, a painted work on canvas you can see and feel the brush strokes it's not just flat boring you know print out digital print it'll look cool if I print out something but it isn't the same thing as an original work and there's a huge difference between in price um, between a digital work and a painted work you go to a, an art gallery and and try and just buy a regular old uh, reproduction and you're looking at maybe $250 um, plus another $250 for the frame. But if you buy an original work, you're looking at $6,000. And that's why I say that artists are are going to be more appreciated than before. All the rest of this is just commercial stuff. and not everybody it's very it seems a little gatekeeping right you're it's really difficult to make a living as an artist in the commercial sector and Well
1: sure artists are extremely threatened by AI I mean i they have they struggle to make a living as it is unless they're one of the rare very successful um, yep. artists so, like name brand kind of thing
0: and um, That massive expense is why it's going to happen, because business doesn't want to spend thousands of dollars on an artist. And it's not going to matter how much people get bent out of shape about an AI. The commercial side of it is going to have this tool in their quiver. They're they're going to be able to pull this out at a moment's notice, do some artwork, marketing, whatever, uh, construction with it from music to writing copy to pretty much anything it's there you're not going to stop it i I don't know what the real solution is you're not going
1: to copyright it right now and you know if you're not taking credit for an ai work i don't see much of a problem and also if the ai isn't based on um like direct copies of other people's work which i think it actually is
0: yeah i don't know i'd have to see more examples i suppose um and not close approximations and i i would want like chain of custody you like know i want to
1: see like source code kind of um it would be one
0: interesting one. to see what the processes were like it what did it sample from to create that artwork and give me everything that the forensic uh, analysis of the code looking at every picture that it chose in the context of that picture, how it was I mean, evaluated. It
1: take like that exact thing and then to just slap something on top of it. For example, I think that's a problem versus like looking at a whole gallery or whatever of art and then being like, oh, I need a blue swatch or whatever.
0: Yeah, I, I'm inspired by this versus taking the artwork and reverse engineering it it's a, a completely different animal so like you said i i would love to look at not really the source code of the uh, llm but the references that the llm makes which is like query yeah yeah you know it created picture a in I want like a references checklist of every single picture that the AI just go down the line, tick, 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 tick all of the images that were referenced to make that new artwork. And, and that would reveal, you know, is this inspirational or is it exact copies? Um, I I think that that is probably a, (laughs) You know, if these were all government agencies, you'd be able to FOIA the hell out of them, but you can't do that with corporations. You have to draw, draw them into a, a, a very expensive, extended litigation process and discovery. And then attorneys say, well, this is what I want. I would love to see an attorney ask that question right there. Can we get- Well,
1: it's gonna happen. We may not have had it yet
0: yeah i wonder if any attorney has actually asked that in any of these ai based um, lawsuits
1: nobody like a google is gonna willingly turn it over like they're gonna wait for a judge to say because that's gonna undercut its whole model
0: yeah
1: if it's as we're viewing it as potentially negative
0: yeah can you imagine they pop out a thousand references and you can actually see which images are embodied in that new artwork because i've run queries to see if i can make something look like something else like another artist you throw in a name some ai's actually block names now of artists you, if you throw it in there it'll ignore the artist's name because it's trying to discount that connection but the tag has to be somewhere in there how how then would the newly constructed work suddenly look like that named artist you know um quite fascinating how
1: did i come back to how did it get that first piece of art because the artist didn't submit it in most cases
0: yeah but if it's on public display somewhere it's just like a human walking up and and taking a picture of it and getting inspiration from it except that it's mechanical in nature and not biological Uh, right
1: it's the two pieces together right
0: yeah 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 this will continue to be r- very very interesting it says art is fundamentally human but no <laughs> it's not art is appreciated fundamentally by humans but, but art the can humans
1: become... don't necessarily appreciate it more unless they know it's a human they might go this is a cool piece of art and then they go oh it was made by an ai and then they'll do one of two things right
0: A oh, it,
1: it. well yeah like oh that's awful or whatever or, oh, I really like it. It's
0: or, cool that an AI cool. did it. Yep, and I've actually done that. So with groups of people, I've thrown artwork on display and then um, I've asked, hey, pretty cool, huh? And and I say, well, what would you say if I said it was created by AI? And some people, just like we just said, they are aghast. Oh my God, this is done by a, an AI, yep. So that's why I asked the Westworld question of groups of people. If you can't tell the difference, does it matter? Well, to the people that are slighted, like these artists, yeah, it does. It takes food off their table, it takes money out of their pockets. Potentially. But I still but keep think... Keep
1: in mind, most artists are probably living below the poverty level. Oh, sure. I mean, They're... these are not uh, like brain surgeons with high salaries or... Yeah. And I'm not saying it, they would be any less slighted. I'm just saying they're eking by financially in many oh. instances. And then this is like threatening their entire existence.
0: I I um, I interacted with a barista who actually has a Ph.D. in a philosophy Ph.D. Um, so you kind of when when uh, you said uh, it, it's not brain surgery or something like that, right? They're not brain surgeons. Y- you never know. And I've known a lot of attorneys that have become artists. So, and
1: I don't mean because of intellect. I just mean, because of salary, like yeah, I, I know. was trying to distinguish it from a high paid profession, but yeah, I know No, you're right. You don't know. I mean, somebody could be doing art for fun and not as a career Yeah, princess.
0: for personal edification and, and uh, well as you don't like saying finding their bliss so anyway um, yeah this is it's an interesting uh, situation that we're in but let's keep on going I I went from not wanting to soapbox uh, spending a lot of time on this one so let's keep going and if you are hanging out with us and you have a question or comment feel free to throw something in chat and let me know Um, the sentient AI and I will uh, answer your questions or talk shop about it so um this next article is over in the mobile channel no ai is not ripping off uber drivers and not every article that we have today is about (laughs) ai it just happens to land that way Um, developments in artificial intelligence and machine learning have led to a series of debates over among other things whether it's coming for your skilled job ai anxiety has now crept into the domain of the gig economy Uh, but not in the way that you would expect Recent articles point to the the finger at companies allegedly using AI to get inside gig workers' heads to manipulate their pay. The fury was jumpstarted by a law review article claiming that companies are engaging in algorithmic wage discrimination, a fancy term that means ride-sharing drivers may be offered different rates for what seems like the same type of work. So the article is over at thehill.com. Uh, Leah Palagasavilla, I guess I- I'm hor- horribly ruining that last name. Um, is a con- an opinion contributor, and they always say, and I'm gonna remind everybody that the views expressed by contributors are are their own and not the view of the hill, and they're definitely not mine um, or the sentient AIs. Um, so let's talk about this here uh, real quick. So they say down here, it's not unreasonable to think that AI will make ride-sharing apps better at figuring out how to pay drivers. That doesn't necessarily mean drivers will earn less, or that the pay rates they are offered will be determined in unethical ways. In the computer, sorry, in the consumer setting, travelers should already be well acquainted with the concept. If you looked at prices for a flight six months ago would you be surprised to find that the costs three times as much a week before departure with fewer seats available an airline can allocate them either on a first come basis for a served basis um or through the current system and the current system is both more profitable for them and more likely to ensure that the person who needs the seat most can get it and that is not abs- that is not true that is the polar opposite of profit motive
1: no it's who can pay the most right yeah that's pay to play particularly if it's close in time yeah
0: yeah there the article just broke um it's logic so let me throw it into the chat so you can follow it if you're in chat um you can follow it on your own and not wait for me um so Says this dynamic pricing mechanism, which has been used by airlines and hotels for decades, is also in play in the ride sharing industry. Prices for your Uber ride surge when you try to book during rush hour or after a major event in your area. This is, but this is, they're not, why aren't they just talking about this as supply and demand? But I understand supply and demand, and I can see how it would. Uh, impact Uber, right? There aren't as many Uber drivers available. But w- what AI is attempting to do here is to determine what the maximum rate would be based on variables that may not be supply and demand metered. So this is something that landed Amazon in the hot seat. They detected that a person was able to spend more, so they raised the prices for those people. And that's what AI is looking at how to extract more wealth from the consumer. And its disparate pricing mechanisms are antithetical to a normal business process that's ethical. <laughs> so you don't sit there and go, well, you know, you have a six digit bank account, so I'm going to charge you more than the person that is you know waiting next to you it, it just doesn't make any sense you pay for your service or you charge for your service x you don't it, it seems kind of scummy and sus to sit there and go well you look like you got nicer shoes so i'm going to charge you more
1: right but i mean that very well could be something that happens i mean i understand right now they're saying no that's not going to occur
0: right and that's but i think that algorithmic wage discrimination provides interviews with some uh uber and lyft drivers who raised real concern about how unpredictable rates and fake price surges negatively affected them we know that people will um instigate a fake price surge by artificial scarcity it happened in the entire state of california shutting down power grid uh operators so that they could drive the prices up higher and there were recordings of the sellers of electricity saying let's charge grandma more um so this is a greed motive this is it's a profit motive but it's purely greed because what everybody what businesses will sit there and say ethical businesses will sit there and say is you charge what The value is for your service and and you don't sit there most businesses don't go well my business is uh, costing $50 including everything plus 10% and that's good enough no they say my service is worth $250 in total benefit to a consumer so I'm gonna charge $250 even if my profit or I should say, even if my costs are only $50 and I get $200 worth of profit, the overall benefit to each customer is worth $200 worth of juice. But that's really not what this differential pricing mechanism is trying, the dynamic pricing mechanism is doing. It's saying simply because it's busier, it charges more. That's supply and demand. But then on top of it, the AI is saying that customer is worth more. So let's charge them more. That's the potential issue here with AI.
1: Or that driver is worth more or less, which right. is a whole other set of problems, but similar.
0: Well, the driver is worth more because their geographic center is in a more affluent region. So let's charge more.
1: Right. But then it arguably that's going to feed into discrimination based on economic status
0: yeah um, which really gets precariously close to protected classes so um well i guess we'll see um this will be an interesting one to uh, monitor as well i there isn't much to say in, in this article though um other than the fact that if there is disparate treatment there could be a cause of action by a rideshare operator, or like Lyft or Uber, if they feel that they're getting disparate treatment. Um, meanwhile, there's a whole cohort of people, because I, I anticipate these kind of conversations because I talk with people quite a bit about this stuff. Um, I can hear the refrain, well, they can say that they deserve more. Well, no, that's really not how it works. Um, you say that you deserve more, you're either going to have to walk away or get labeled not a team player or some other.
1: Right, you're you know, gonna get laid off or even if you're not- a Your hours get cut or whatever, yeah, because exactly. you're
0: rocking the boat and all kinds of political bullshit. Anyway, um, yeah, sorry, this isn't a kid's show, by the way. Okay, let's keep on going. Uh, the next article is over in Ohm Town Daily. that's this show, but it's also a channel over on OhmTown.com. Uh, you can buy an abandoned Colorado ski resort for just seven million dollars. Let's say you I mean that want... actually
1: sounds relatively inexpensive for a whole resort.
0: Yeah, I wonder if there's a whole
1: fee like you get associated... ski lifts and everything and
0: <laughs> I don't know. Let's take a look at it. A shuttered three hundred and seventy three acre ski resort outside of Denver, Colorado. Well, it's Denver, Colorado. Hit the market in September. The resort slopes at St. Mary's Glacier closed in 1986 and has remained unused since. Prospective buyers are eyeing it as a compound or multi-home development site. Compound. Kind of don't like the that sound of a that. a
1: negative connotation. <laughs> yeah, really. Like uh, a dictator or a cult <laughs> or... <laughs>
0: yeah, and you don't want a dictator. Um, every skier has dreamt of pristine slopes without other patrons slicing through their downhill bliss. Hey! Oh
1: my gosh! I said it twice. twice. In
0: one show. Oh gosh. Um, in Idaho Springs, Colorado, a town about 30 miles from Denver, that dream can be achieved for a hefty price tag. I don't know, 373 acres of ski resort for seven million.
1: I mean, that would be kind of. What if you bought it and then used it for your own?
0: Yeah, your own family, private compound. For
1: example, that'd be pretty neat, I imagine.
0: Yeah, you can just. You can just uh, create your own cult right there. Jordan Pandy over at BusinessInsider.com put the article together. The AI <laughs> is throwing error messages at me. <laughs> oh, you're a sentient AI. You'll never understand humans. It's this is just the it's a coping mechanism. Um, so it's apparently up for sale, seven million dollars. It's been idling for almost forty years that's gotta be some pretty rough trade in there. You know, I mean, that thing is going
1: to have to be rebuilt, I guess, if they want it as a ski resort.
0: Oh yeah. There's gotta be asbestos all up in there. According to the listing, property taxes will run a buyer $20,000 uh, a year through the list. Uh, although the listing also indicates that the price is only for a particular portion of the property, right? That the, the actual living area, um,
1: that's kind it's, of lower than i would expect. Well, at that price
0: point. This is like regular housing property taxes, but it, again, the livable space um is the one that gets taxed. So, i mean at, at a high rate. So, it it's selling for about $18,700 an acre, which might sound nice to some, but the property has been pretty much left alone for a few decades. The next buyer will have to put in a few extra dollars to refurbish the place. I want to see inside. All I'm seeing are pictures of trees, the
1: landscape, right?
0: Yeah, and that—that's it. That's the whole article there. Oh, yeah, great! I wanna see, like, yeah. I want to
1: see ski lifts and the ski lodge or whatever.
0: Yeah, I want to see the building. It does it even exist? That sucks. <laughs> I was hoping to see the actual it says the former ski resort closed its lifts in 1986 that's the last time you even have anything to do with lifts Ah, that's sad
1: you can actually link to it from the um, from inside the article to the actual listing but even that right though there, right? it's just showing a lot of um, landscape pictures, I yeah. don't see any building pictures on okay. the listing.
0: Yeah, I don't typically walk off the walk off of hometown to get there. So, okay, well, we'll have to uh, maybe a better article will come floating by. So let's keep on hustling. Uh, this article is going to scare the sentient AI. So. Um, Let's see if and we And also
1: any younger viewers.
0: Maybe. I don't know. It's kind of a spooky article. Horror movies dominate box office top ten chart three weeks before Halloween. Uh this whole month is kinda spooky Halloween month, so I try to find an article that actually has something to do with it. Um in this case, horror movie or horror movies are dominating the box office on the opening weekend of The Exorcist, Believer. Uh, The Exorcist is an older, the original Exorcist is an older movie that actually scared the bejeebers out of Mare The new movie, which is released three weeks ahead of Halloween, is a legacy sequel that brings back the original character, Chris McNeil, uh, Ellen Bernstein. Uh, 50 years later, the movie, which was directed and co-directed, directed directed and co-written, by David Gordon Green, and is the intended beginning of a new trilogy, took number one at the box office this weekend, with a projected three-day total of $28 million. I don't know if that's good or bad. Anyway, Brennan Klein over at Screen Rant put this article together, and it said, the deck statement says, while The Exorcist Believer is taking number one the domestic box office this weekend, many other horror movies are also populating the top ten. Um, Other movies in the top 10 are Saw 10, A Haunting in Venice, The Nun 2, which is actually... You can get both of them over in uh, Apple movies um, together, apparently. And uh, the 30th anniversary re-release of Hocus Pocus. And there's Hocus Pocus 2 that you can actually watch, but that's not in the movie theaters right now, I don't think. Um, Let's see... Which fall 2023 horror movie will come out on top? No clue. But based on the numbers here, mm, probably The Exorcist. 28 million projected three-day. The next one close to it is eight. (laughs) So, yeah. Uh, Exorcist Believer is trading on the... um, well-marketed name of a- The Exorcist um, franchise from the 70s, Sam.
1: So. I mean, isn't that a lot, the case with a lot of horror movies? Like, they've just released multiples in the same franchise.
0: Oh, yeah. Like, Saw is on, like, 25, and there's a bunch of other horror movies that do that. Friday the 13th is on uh, something like 8 or 9, too. Five Nights at Freddy's is also uh, another... Um, horror movie that's kind of angled towards kids because Five Nights at Freddy's is a horror game. Um, I don't know what else is in here. Yeah, there isn't that much. So if you are ready for uh, scary movies, then now's the time this whole month. It's uh, I don't know what how can we make um, hometown a spooky spooky town.
1: Well we did have um, the right colors and then also music although I know we tried that and
0: it was really creepy (laughs) it it wasn't conducive to conversation that's for sure this whole thing by the way over at Screen Rant is sourced from Deadline so there's a bunch of um, information from Deadline okay let's keep on going we got a bunch more articles to go Next article is over in Wanted. Thousands of Android devices come with unkillable backdoor pre-installed. And before I move too far past this, let me throw the other articles into the chat so you can follow them if oh so motivated. Um, In the Wanted channel, thousands of Android devices come with unkillable backdoor pre-installed. Well, in reality, nothing is truly unkillable. But... It says, when you buy a TV streaming box, there are certain things you wouldn't expect it to do. It shouldn't secretly be laced with malware or start communicating with servers in China when it's powered up. It definitely should not be acting as a node in an organized crime scheme, making millions of dollars through fraud. However, that's been the reality for thousands of unknowing people who own cheap Android TV devices. Wow. The article is over at ArsTechnica.com. Matt Burgess from Wired.com put the article together. The deck statement says somehow advanced tri- Triada uh, malware was uh, added to devices before reaching resellers. Um, this is one of the things that I have a you know a problem with uh, regarding security. There isn't anybody that truly audits all of the devices. Um, we have. We have companies that say to get UL certified or CE certified, etc., etc., certified, yes. But when it comes to software on devices, there is no forensic audit. There is no review processes. This is why I really do appreciate the walled garden that is Apple. There is more malware in Google Play than there is in Apple's. Uh, why? Because it's fairly simple to submit art, uh, software to android and they do uh run malware but a sophisticated malware can be hiding in plain sight um you know that the ability for the software to put itself together after being taken apart in separate segments of code um it it could get past the checks um, and then reassemble itself at a later time. Um, Wait,
1: now that sounds creepy. We're all worried about AI, but I think I'd be worried about that.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, Sorry, the fidelity of the music that's playing in the background actually made me pay attention to the wall next to me. <laughs> I thought that there was something hitting the wall next to me. Um, Anyway, so it says when you buy a TV streaming box, there are certain things you wouldn't expect it to do. Well, that's apparently what's been going on. A streaming box called the T95 was infected with malware right out of the box, with multiple other researchers confirming the findings. But it was just the tip of the iceberg. This week, cybersecurity firm Human Security is revealing new details about the scope of the infected devices and the hidden interconnected web of fraud schemes linked to the streaming boxes. Human security researchers found seven Android boxes and one tablet with the back doors installed, and they've seen signs of 200 different models of Android devices that may be impacted, according to a report shared exclusively with Wired. So all kinds of stuff, folks. Um, In the second half of 2022, human security says in its report, its researchers spotted an Android app that appeared to be linked to an inauthentic traffic and connected to the domain flyermobi.com. when milicic, or milicic uh, posted his initial findings about the t95 android box in january the research also pointed to the FlyerMobi domain the team at human purchased the box and multiple others and started diving in so the article goes um, pretty deep into what transpired But it says, the findings tally with those of other researchers and ongoing investigations. Fyodor Yorichkin, a senior threat researcher at the security firm Trend Micro, says the company has seen two Chinese threat groups that have used backdoored Android devices. One, it has uh, researched deeply. The other is the one human security looked at. Quote, the infection of devices is quite similar, Yorichkin Yarochkin, sorry, Yarochkin says. So it's Chinese malware. Um, Then there's what human security calls Peach Pit. This is an app-based fraud element, which has been present on both the TV boxes as well as Android phones and iPhones, it says. So I'm curious where that is. And how yeah, that, that surprises
1: made it, me because I thought that had a more secure, not entirely secure ecosystem.
0: Yeah, you may be able to sideload, um, and it get discovered. I don't know. Uh, um, I don't. I, I'd have to read more about this. Um, the company identified 39 Android, iOS, and TV box apps that were involved. These were template based applications, not very high quality. Apps about developing six-pack abs and logging the amount of water a person drinks were included. Human security researcher says the ads involved were making 4 billion ad requests per day with 121,000 Android devices impacted and 159,000 iOS devices impacted. There had been 15 million downloads in total for the Android apps, the researchers calculate a bad box backdoor was found only on Android, not on any iOS device. Reed says that the uh, that, based on the data the company has, which isn't a complete picture due to the complexity of the ad industry, those behind the scheme could easily have earned two million in one month alone. So it was basically churning ads. Pretty fascinating. This is it's interesting and scary because. There is, <laughs> ironically, AI would be the solution for this. Parsing the code, verifying that everything is a legitimate call um, and anything out of band from its designed um, build and purpose would be flagged. Um, I I really do think that AI should be leveraged for this. Cybersecurity is going to be um, almost mortally wounded by AI, um, when it's sophisticated enough to be put into practice, Um, which it right now isn't, but let's keep on going, please. The next article is over in the mobile channel. This one will be quick because there isn't really much to say other than congratulations to Spain. Spain's first private rocket successfully lifts off. Although the segment is Spain has a private rocket industry. I was going to
1: say, I didn't know they did. <laughs>
0: uh, a Spanish company launched the country's first private rocket on Saturday in a step toward bringing Spain into the exclusive club of spacefaring nations. The article is over at fizz.org. Um, I suppose it's the entire country of Spain that supported the creation of this article because there's no byline. Um, The launch of the small Mura-1 rocket took place at 2.19 a.m. GMT from a military base in the southern region of Andalusia. Um, According to the company PLD Space, the company hailed the launch as successful and said that it had achieved all of its technical objectives with the rocket rising 29 miles or 46 kilometers above the Gulf of Cadiz. After five minutes in flight, it landed in the Atlantic Ocean, where PLD Space said it would send a team to recover it. The launch was hailed as a milestone. I wonder how long it will take for them to deliver a, a automated landing rocket, just like SpaceX has, because the cat's well, out of exactly. that bag.
1: Or even a rover. or I mean, We're seeing a lot of competition right now from different countries which i think is a good thing
0: yep it's kind of like everybody launching the same movie at the same time you know like ants and bugs life and all that
1: right did they all get together say 10 years ago or whatever uh and say okay we're gonna all launch in 2023
0: yes the illuminati uh distributed alien technology to all of the countries to develop Um, spacefaring research vehicles all at the same time. Maybe not. I don't think so. Uh, The next article is over in the Continuity Report. Hocus Pocus was an infamous bomb for Disney. Seven Reasons the Halloween Classic failed. But you see, it's a cult cult classic. It's... It has legs now. Everybody still loves it. While Hocus Pocus remains a beloved Halloween staple, today the Disney movie was an infamous box office bomb back in 1993. Hocus Pocus is a headliner for Disney's Halloween movie slate every year, but it doesn't always have the nostalgia-filled popularity that it enjoys 30 years later. When Hocus Pocus premiered in 1993, it only made $40 million against an estimated $28 million budget. Bomb indeed consider the typical rule of thumb for a movie to break even is to double its initial budget hocus pocus initially lost several million dollars for disney so wow. the article is over by jordan williams uh, sorry it's over at uh, screenrant.com by jordan williams and the de- deck statement says hocus pocus is regarded as a classic halloween movie today but the disney film was a huge box office bomb when it was released in 1993 Pardon me one second. Hopefully, that actually muted me. Um. Okay, so I want to see. Let's make it quick here. Disney released Hocus Pocus in July instead of the fall. Yeah. Okay. That's a stupid move. It should have been released in Halloween or you know in October.
1: Exactly. I don't know why they did that. In fact, we saw that mentioned in another article.
0: Yep. Hocus Pocus had massive box, op- op- bleh, box office competition. It had The Nightmare Before Christmas, Free Willy, um, Jurassic Park. That's insane. Yep, that would have withered it quite a bit. Hocus Pocus was panned by critics when it uh, premiered. Well, that's going to happen. Um Roger Ebert said that it was, uh, Hocus Pocus is a film desperately in need of self discipline, whatever that means. Uh, meanwhile, the more moderately. I mean,
1: it wasn't an Oscar winner, but that doesn't mean it's not entertaining.
0: True. It says The Nightmare Before Christmas also boasted great reviews and a big name, with Tim Burton being the executive producer. Um, Hocus Pocus being critically panned upon release actually isn't surprising as the movie still holds a 40% score on Rotten Tomatoes despite its cult legacy. That's because people dig the Halloween nature of it, and it didn't take itself too seriously. Um, Number four is Hocus Pocus didn't have major stars for a kid's movie. Um, Okay, but I think this one became one. I don't know about these other yes, two. Yes,
1: but there weren't box office straw when it was released.
0: Yeah, Thora Birch definitely became, like, just kind of exploded on the scene at one point. Um, Sarah Jessica Parker. Oh, and those are the adults, though, so those don't count for what this number is supposed to represent. Yeah, I
1: mean, if they had somebody from, like, a hit Disney TV show or something
0: right? Like, cast it, in this... It would have been something, yeah. Disney didn't market, market hocus Disney didn't market Hocus Pocus well. Yeah, right, because they <laughs> launched it in July for crying out loud. And beyond that. Plus, they're I wonder if they're gonna talk about it. So let's just move on to the last two. Hocus Pocus was better suited for at-home viewing. That's just that's just a silly kind of throw you know just around this out to 10 i suppose because it would have been great in a movie theater if it would have been uh flavored the right way you market it in halloween you market it during fall you you drive the message that this is a a movie about witches
1: (laughs) right oh look at that there we go
0: Yep, and this is exactly what I said. It didn't. It didn't take itself too seriously, and the other thing that I was gonna say was that there were adult concepts in this that I think kind of degraded parents' uh, ability to bring a kid to the show and not sit there and feel compelled to fast forward. You know, um, well, and it's,
1: it's weird because there, other than maybe ten minutes total, if that, out of the whole movie, yeah. it would have been very kid friendly maybe not little kid because it might have been a little too scary but um yeah it just didn't make sense to throw that in there
0: yeah there was there were a a couple of kids that just came across with flat affect and you wonder if that was intended acting or if they were just crap actors um and then they make these certain adult you know well they say innuendo Um, Yeah, and it didn't need it. Like you said, it just didn't need it. They should have just changed it. Whoever, and I don't know who it was that actually had the uh, job of punching up the script, but somebody should have stepped in and said, this should not, it should have been referred to as like an innocent this. Um, You know, an innocent child has to light the black candle or something. Um, and it would have or made a it. child. Well, yeah, a child should have. Yeah. Um, had to light the, the thing and, and all of the other adult themes in it, which, again, it was just very little. But it, and it didn't to, really
1: add much to the story.
0: It added like, nothing. The two
1: teenage kids, they could have just done things like exchange the phone number or whatever. Like, it just, I don't know. I, yeah. I don't know what was yeah. the purpose of it.
0: I feel like somebody needs to run into hometown and yell, get off my lawn now. (laughs) Um, Okay, let's go on to the next article. Uh, Then this next article, and and this one should be quick as well. um, Energy firms holding 8.1 billion pounds of customers' money, and I don't mean in weight. I mean, I was just going to
1: say in (laughs) weight.
0: Yeah, so this is a BBC.com article. Uh, Dan Whitworth is the author. They are the Money Box reporter for BBC Radio 4. Energy firms held a combined £8.1 billion pounds of customers' bill overpayments at the start of 2023. New off gem hey, figures a time
1: when inflation is soaring, everything is more expensive. I mean,. That's
0: pretty awful. It says companies can hold on to those overpayments, but MP Angus McNeil accused them of holding too much money and sitting on a nest egg industry group. energy UK said direct debits were based on forecasts made when unit prices were volatile. Customers can request refunds. It added, no, give me my damn money back. I shouldn't have to ask, (laughs) you know, how much you owe me, pay me back. With interest, because you're making what three percent, six percent, twelve percent on eight point one billion dollars. Unless that that should have been put into an escrow, uh, an interest-bearing escrow account, and making money for me. Eight point one billion dollars. You tools. How about I estimate how much you've uh, ripped me off of money? Um, maybe I can charge you that. Father of three from uh, Dumfern, sorry, Dumfernlin, um, unknowingly built up 1,100 pounds of credit with his supplier in September 2022. It was 800 uh, pounds I wanted back, and I thought that it was fair, and they made me jump through hoops to get it. It's disgusting. Yes, I agree. So, so wait
1: a second. If they're getting all these overpayments because of. They had different estimates Mm etc the customers are paying before they're getting the service yeah which is another problem
0: well hey you know not everybody
1: utilities you pay after the fact you don't pay and go hey can i have power in a week
0: not everybody drives on the right side of the road either yeah, th- there's something wrong with this whole thing. And they say it in the article, there is something very wrong. If this is writ large across co- consumers across the UK, then energy companies have a tidy wee nest egg sitting there with customers' money. Energy companies holding on to people's money can be a good thing, explained Ellen Fraser, an energy consultant and partner at management consultancy Baringa. Eh, all right. Tell Buy me... A source. Hey, Ellen, you want to give me 8.1 billion of your dollars? I'll hold it. I'll hold it because it's a good thing that you're not spending it. The poors are going to spend it. Is that it? Twit. You keep your payments flat in the summer when your actual bills are smaller and intentionally build up credit on your account. No. Give me my damn money.
1: That's one thing <laughs> if a customer chooses to overpay. Sure. That's not what's happening here.
0: So the figure of 8.1 billion pounds in con- customers' accounts between January and March this year suggested people were either not aware of a large credit balance or aren't being successful in their request for refunds. Shouldn't have to request it. I, from experience, I have overpaid for something because the organization charged me in anticipation for something and then i got a check <laughs> i shouldn't have to ask for anything they didn't call me up and say hey we have a balance here um that's we
1: want this back. <laughs>
0: right we'll, we'll hold on to it no they said hey we have too much money in our accounts and it belongs to you so here you go this is wacky it said if customers are not happy with how they are were treated by their energy supplier or the problem was not fixed in eight weeks they could complain to the energy ombudsman why <laughs> yeah
1: okay, first of all if you're waiting eight weeks to get money due back particularly in the hundreds of pounds or dollars yeah you're like losing your place to live at that point because you it's, need that money toward rent
0: yeah it's potential Yeah, but energy firms holding 8.1 billion dollars, a billion pounds specifically of customers money due to overpay uh, overcharges. And instead of just saying, okay, your next bill is going to be this amount minus everything because we have a credit. So your next bill is zero or some value lower than the total no they kept on charging the higher estimate and then storing the funds
1: (laughs) well that's true yeah not only did they overcharge to begin with or charge in advance or whatever but yeah yeah they should have been adjusting
0: yeah at some point you adjust if there's a previous month balance or quarter balance then you adjust the quarter balance there's some bills that don't show up for quarters all right well anyway good luck everybody The next article is over in the continuity report. Pink regrets releasing SpongeBob SquarePants song. We've got scurvy was a real mistake. And I am sad that that's how Pink feels about this because I've heard that song and I don't think that it's too bad. It's good natured. It It refers to scurvy and having it and what it does and what they need to cure it. But it's a spongebob well, square song. Thing. yeah i think Is
1: she takes because herself it's too seriously making fun of um scurvy like an illness the, i mean i don't know the song
0: the scurvy infected or ailed or you know i mean i think it's silly to be to regret that Anyway, the article is actually over at Variety. I think that it's hilarious that Pink is doing the same thing that Spongebob is doing. Yeah. I love when
1: they do um, <laughs> photos like that.
0: <laughs> I love this. Okay, hold on. I, I got to throw this effort into the chat.
1: To match those up. <laughs> yeah,
0: they had to go and find that. That's for sure. That's funny. Real mistake. That's sad. It. I don't know. It makes me kind of look at... Pink a little differently, but not that she gives a shit that I'm saying anything. Anyway, Michaela Z over at Variety.com put the article together. Um, In the article it says, Pink Wishes She Never Journeyed to Bikini Bottom with the uh, Spongebob Squarepants song, We've Got Scurvy. The Grammy winning singer uh, revealed which of her singles she considers her best and worst in recent interview with the LA Times. After sharing that So What and Get the Party Started are among her best songs. Pink cited two tracks as her worst, the 2012 True Love and We've Got Scurvy, which appeared on the 2009 compilation album Spongebob's Greatest Hits. (laughs) She was going to talk about a relationship-based song and then said, Oh oh no, uh, I don't like this one. She recalled the SpongeBob song, we got, uh, We've Got Scurvy, which includes lyrics about the disease often associated with the history of sailors and sea travel. Yeah, like they need to find a lemon tree and stuff like that. Um, let's see. Our gums are black. Our teeth are falling out. We've got spots on our back. So give it up and shout. We've got scurvy. We need some vitamin C. We've got scurvy. We need a lemon tree.
1: You know, I actually think that's a good song because it would teach kids what it is and how to prevent it.
0: Yep. And, well, I can guarantee you, anybody who is, uh, you might find an anomaly, but anybody that's watching SpongeBob is so far away from getting scurvy. um, It's almost, yeah, not even an actual statistic. Um, Although... Today, I've been struggling. Like,
1: they might but, know people who would be at risk of it.
0: Sure. If you, uh, if you were a child and you see people that have black gums and their teeth are falling out and they've got spots on their back, yell, we've got scurvy. You need some vitamin C. You've got scurvy. You need a lemon tree
1: okay that's not quite the takeaway no 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 but she could say hey have you had enough (laughs) orange juice today (laughs) (laughs) how
0: about some rum um no wait grog 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 by the way is water with a little bit of rum in it to keep it um from growing funky stuff man hey um today i actually spent way too much time learning about naturally well no it's uh salt from seawater created through people going and getting seawater in buckets or uh or and boiling it away or naturally um uh evaporating the water from it and there are certain places that do this and i'll have to once i Uh, I don't know if it'll pop up in, in hometown, but maybe I'll find one and we can have a, you know, me be determined to actually talk about it, but there's entire communities that could no longer sell their naturally created sea salt because there are mandates that require salt to have iodine in it. And it's a much more complex process, very expensive, to inject iodine into salt. And so I'm trying to figure out why salt is the one that got branded with the requirement to have iodine attached to it. Why not something else? Why salt? So I haven't looked into that part of it, um, but it was really interesting. Like the moment that I saw this article, I had that flash to earlier today when I was uh, watching, uh, videos about the natural well, not natural. It's a natural process where they go and get salt water. Um, and in some cases it's actually salt that's drawn out of coconut husks um, that are that are cooked and stuff. I'll have to find the video and, and show it to you. Um, but so the reason why uh, iodine is injected into salt, is for health reasons to stop goiters um and uh but i i still don't know why salt was chosen and why all salt has to have iodine in it like little island nations ban natural salt because it doesn't have iodine in it so
1: isn't that interesting even uh, though maybe somebody might not be at risk of it
0: correct they've been making the salt for hundreds of years this way or thousands probably i don't know hundreds of years on the like an island nation right but then the government says you can't sell that salt you have to import salt (laughs) that has iodine in it so it doesn't make any sense to me anyway i don't know why i'm (laughs) so boxing about it but i think it's really interesting that there's these people can't make a living anymore because this was their trade and for whatever reason salt put them out of business one day but salt was making them money the previous day anyway that's it folks we are done for today so we always come back down main street looking at all of the stars homes to your left and to your right might have done that backwards depending on your perspective but anyway um and then we refresh it right and see if there's anything new i don't know today is like a slow news day
1: that's the weekend and then there's a lot of um
0: it's a holiday weekend maybe for some people
1: but it is a holiday weekend at least in the u.s and then uh, i don't know
0: we never go of the
1: news is stuff we don't necessarily want to feature
0: yeah that's true Anyway, so there's a whole bunch of new news. Uh, we'll just, I'll just shut it down. How about that? We'll just call it a night. We'll see you tomorrow. I am Mare That is ometown.com. Up there is the ring of sentience. You want to say bye? Good
1: night. Good night, hometown citizens. We will see you tomorrow at 8 p.m. Eastern.
0: Unless Apophis oh, bye. crashes into us. Good night everybody.
1: <music> bye bye. Yeah.